chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, you have sermon discussion notes there if you want to grab those out and you can follow along, write notes, uh, and, and uh, see where we're heading. Matthew chapter 4, this is part 26 in our sermon series, written in So You Might Believe, and today's title is A Light Has Dawned. A Light Has Dawned. Uh, we've, we've been going through this series for quite a while, written so you might believe. It's a harmony of the Gospels, taking the Gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, which is the life and work of Jesus, and making, helping them make sense to us in kind of a, an order of what happened and what was going on and what was important. Uh, lately, the last few uh, weeks, we've been studying and seeing that Jesus was, was not so well received, right? He was, he was welcomed, but kind of unwelcomingly welcomed. They wanted him to do things for them, but they really didn't want him, right? So they wanted miracles, but not the Messiah. And, and he was even doing that in, in Galilee and Capernaum and places that, that he, you know, people knew him. And maybe it wasn't the religious elite that would really reject him. After all, he was already in Jerusalem and he already overturned tables at the, and cleared, cleansed the temple. Um, so today we're going to see what's Jesus up to? Where is he going next? Uh, and, and as a fulfillment of prophecy, um, we'll see him as, as the light that has dawned. And it will see him as a light that has dawned in, in three different places, right? Or different kind of avenues. One is at the right time. Two, we see him uh, at the right place, and then we see him with the right message. And I really, I, I give you all that right ahead because I, I think that as we trek through this today, it's important for us to really see this in light of our own lives as well. Not just uh, the historicity of Jesus and historically where he was and when he was and what he was saying, but for you and I, uh, it's the same story, that Jesus came to us in the right time, at the right place, with the right message, and, and the hope is that we responded repentantly uh, in faith in Christ, right? And for some of you who may not have done that ever in your life, you've never come to faith in Christ, but you're in a church, right? Maybe today could be Jesus coming to you at the right time, at the right place, with the right message, because that's what Jesus does. And, and we, as Christ followers, know that because we can look back and say, wow, look at that. Look what he did at the right time, at the right place, with the right message. But we also know now, as Christ followers, as we go out to share that message, as we compassionately and graciously share the gospel with people, that that is also being heard in many times the right place or the right time with the right message. And maybe it's just a combination of a couple of those things. And God's, we're planting seed, and God's, God's going to give us the right time and place, but, but the message right there is maybe rejected. But later on, they'll, they'll look back and say, well, that was the right message. I need to respond to that message. So I want us to think about that today as we go through. I'll ask the question often, how about with you? So you can kind of think about that. So I'm going to pray for us uh, right now, and then we'll get into our text in Matthew 4. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that we can come together as the body of Christ, God, to worship you, to exalt you, to to the position that you are due, and, and God, give you all the glory and honor. And God, as we esteem you and make much of you, may you help us to lessen ourselves. May we humble ourselves, and, and God, may we find ourselves in a place of, of reliance and obedience to you, that our hearts would be open and receptive to your word, and that, God, we could, we could grow in it. We could throw, throw aside anything that, that ensnares us or entangles us, God, as we run this race. And God, we could focus on you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. But help us to, today to see Christ as the light that has dawned in our hearts and the light that's dawned in any heart. God, that recognizes their need for him. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our text today is out of Matthew chapter 4. I know I told you to turn there. I also need to do that. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. <clears throat> 
When he heard that John had been arrested, this is John the baptizer, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So we're going to look at that text today and we're going to break that apart into, into some other uh, just goodies, but uh, we'll look at the first thing there. At the right time, he came, number one is at the right time. This light dawned, Jesus dawned at the right time. First part of verse 12, we look at this. It says, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew. Or to Galilee, and we'll see Galilee in a moment, but he withdrew. When he heard that John was arrested, he withdrew. Now, I, I want us to, to think about a couple things before we get too out of hand here. Uh, sometimes people would say, man, he, Jesus really wants to avoid danger. He's really, he's really scared about being arrested and, and being hurt. And that is not the case at all. Uh, Jesus was in charge of his own destiny. You know why? Because he was God. And he did everything in God's sovereign time, with, uh, in, under God's sovereign control, and in God's sovereign plan. But I want us to see a little bit of what was going on. I'm going to read a passage out of Luke chapter 3. It says, his, his winnowing shovel is at hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burned with fire that never goes out. This is, this is a, a preaching about judgment coming in that, that there's a need to repent. It says, and this is John the baptizer saying this, right? And so then along with many other uh, exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. So remember, John was the forerunner. John came, uh, he's Jesus' cousin. He comes to say, I I'm coming to prepare the way of the Lord. Make sure you know Jesus is on the way, that I'm not the Messiah, he's the Messiah, but we need to repent. And he was, he was doing this by the, by the Jordan. He was doing this around Jerusalem. He was doing this with people who, who were learned in, in the ways of uh, the Jews. And they, they didn't really want this much. They were like, nah, you're, you're kind of not, you're, you're kind of ruffling our feathers here. You're kind of getting up in our, in our business. You're, you're kind of making us look bad. We don't like this. And, and really, when you're in Jerusalem, you have these, these spiritual elites, it would seem. People who had it all together or, assume, or assumed they had it all together or, or acted like they had it all together. But John is preaching against them and, and said when John rebuked Herod, uh, the Tetrarch, because of uh, Heroditus, his brother's wife, and, and all the evil things he had done. So he's like, you're, you're sinning, you're in the wrong. Herod added this to everything else and he locked up John in prison and John would eventually die, be, be beheaded, Right? So the, the word, the message was going out to repent of your sin. The message was coming that said, uh, you're all likely to be usurped. And to Herod, there's a king coming, a Messiah coming. He doesn't want anything to do with that. And now you're telling me as Herod that I'm, I'm sinful. I don't want that either. But the religious elites were hearing and, and saying, I don't, I, this guy is bad news. He's, he's, going to, he's going to disturb what we have going here. And they had a religious elite system. I really, as I studied for this, this scripture today in this passage, I really see this a lot. In, you see this even in politics, right? You get this, this place, this notion of, uh, especially in our government, you see this, this idea that, well, the common person should be able to, to be a, become a politician. And they do. And then they become a politician and they think they're all that. And they, they speak whatever they want to speak and say whatever they want to say. And, and we're listening to them like, wait, do you understand what you're saying? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a disconnect, isn't there? but they'll do almost anything to hold that position and maintain that power. That was going on here as well, but in a religious way. There were re religious extremes of this as well. People wanted to hold on to power. They wanted to hold on to, to that, that presence and that prestige that they had. So John was arrested and locked up in prison. 
So we see that there's, there's this need to maybe escape from that. But Jesus wasn't trying to escape from harm or death. I want us to understand that. He, he, he was there at the right time, and, and there were some things that needed to be accomplished before his time had fully come. We get that? So he, would not, he was not scared, but he would not allow anyone to thwart his progress and to deter him from the goal. This is what Jesus was doing. He would go and leave and then go over there and leave and disappear and be like, what happened? Remember last week we talked about this? Right? The crowd at Nazareth wanted to, what? They wanted to hurl him over a cliff. So they took him to the edge of the town. And what did he do? He just walked right through him and left. He would not be deterred. This is Jesus. And that was a miracle right in front of them. They wanted a miracle. He got They got it, right? He would not be deterred. He would lay down his life on his own time. So uh, the, what, why? Why then would he, would he leave at this time? Well, because his mission would be deterred if he stayed there. He knew in the sovereignty of God that his mission had just begun. It wasn't time for him to be arrested. It wasn't time for him to be crucified, but that time would come, that he was going to be the Messiah, a light that dawned for everybody. Remember in Luke chapter 2, when, when baby Jesus was kind of dedicated at the temple, Simeon was there, and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared it in the presence of all peoples. This was important. It was not just for the Jews. Although he was ruffling the feathers of the Jews uh, and, and these religious elites, the Gentiles also were hearing him. And, and these were the ones that were more kind of the, the lowlifes or the dejected and the, the hungry, the hurting. They understood their need, right? And Jesus was coming for them. Uh, he, he was a, for all peoples, a light, uh, for a revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. He was, he was for both. We see in Galatians 3, this timing was perfect, that God's timing is always perfect. Galatians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it said, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Whatever time it was, it was God's time. Do we understand that? It wasn't, wasn't man's time, it wasn't uh, the Pharisees' time, it wasn't the Gentiles' time, it was God's timing. And that's an amazing thing to think about for you and I. It's God's timing. Even though John had been arrested and he said, you know what, I, I'm, not, I'm not ready. I'm not going to lay my life down yet. It's not time. I'm going to withdraw to Galilee. And, and there were some reasons behind that. And remember, every time they, they tried to thwart his plans, he had other plans for them. John 7, we see that they tried to seize him, but no one could lay a hand on him because his time had not come. Isn't that amazing? Like, it just Jesus is slippery. Like, I can't grab him. I can't get on to him and, and, and stop this. It wasn't because Jesus was scared. It was because God's timing was perfect. John, 5, or John 10, Jesus says this, This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so I may take it up again. Who lays down his life? Jesus does. No one takes it from him, right? He says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. Right? Jesus came at the right time, to lay down his life so that through faith in him we might have life. It's the right time. It's God's timing. So how about you? The right time. I mean, you know, for us, here's what I would say for you and I, we need to be in a place of, of humility and almost humiliation, of, of a place of, of, of grief and sorrow and despair in our own heart. That's the right time. See, what the light dawns in darkness. It doesn't dawn on self-righteousness. It shines on self-righteousness, but it just reflects away because, oh, I'm so good, I'm so perfect, I don't need any of this. Until we find how, how, how despairing we really are and how really in need we are, it will, not, it will not be the right time. But Jesus is always there. When it is the right time, he's there. And he's working on our hearts. He's, he's tilling the soil of our hearts and desiring that we would come to know him in faith. 
He comes at the right time. A light has dawned at the right time. Number two, we see the light has dawned in the right place. So we saw, he heard that John had been arrested, so he, he withdrew. Where did he withdraw to? Into Galilee. And then in verse 14, it says this. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness, have seen a great light. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Really amazing here that this is, this is prophecy being fulfilled, that Jesus, Jesus is fulfilling the sovereign prophecy of God so that, that people could see and say, wow, everything's coming to be just as it has been told. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, it's, uh, John speaking about uh, Jesus, uh, it says, In him that was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that, he might, that, all, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Again, the, the religious self-elite were part of this. Everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike, but they, they wouldn't hear it. They were too self-righteous to see it. They were not open to him at all, even if he seemed to fulfill prophecy. Interesting, what, what did he fulfill? If we go back in time in our, in our uh, scripture series here on, on written so you might believe, we, we saw the birth of Christ, and as we approach Christmas here soon, we're talking about the birth of Christ. Remember, we talked about when Christ was born, uh, where was he born? In Bethlehem, right? Why? Because Scripture said that he would be born in Bethlehem. And remember, the Magi came and said, hey, uh, they came to Jerusalem saying, hey, we've heard that the king of the Jews has been born. And they they inquired, like, where where should this be? And they got all their their teachers around and said, well, where is this? And they knew, right? The religious elite knew. They said, well, in Bethlehem. The the king of the Jews is to be born in Bethlehem. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. Well, well, there's Jesus. And so, I mean, he, he survived that through God's providence. It wasn't time for him to die, right? And he survived uh, even a decree from Herod to go out and kill all of those children up through two years old to try to get rid of these, these boys who might be Jesus, this threat. So they knew prophecy, and he fulfilled prophecy. But there's also more prophecy, and the, and the prophecy was what was just read today. He said that, that the Messiah, the light, will dawn in Galilee, right? And so, so when, when Jesus shows up, and they're like, well, why, why are we thinking he's the Messiah? They're, they're in their mind, they're, oh, no, he, the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, because they thought the Messiah comes from Bethlehem. But right here, scripturally, if they were to read it, it says that he would. The light would dawn there. So he, he was born as he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And then he showed up in Capernaum and Nazareth and Galilee, and he lived there. And this light dawned there. He went there first, right, to share the gospel, to share the message. And we'll see that in a few minutes. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Well, what were these people like there? And why did he go to Galilee? It's kind of like this grassroots movement. You need, you need, you need people, the salt of the earth, the people that, that maybe have, have a little bit of give or a little bit of humility in them. It's, it's hard. I thought about this again, politically, right? You, you might go to Washington, D.C. and by yourself with a picket and stand in front of the Capitol and protest something, but it does nothing, right? But it might do something if you go to, the, go to the highways and byways, you go to the grassroots and you get a bunch of people on your side and then you show up in droves of 10,000, 15,000, 100,000 people. Your voice might be a little louder, Right? Jesus is, is starting a ministry, and he's, he's sharing the message of the gospel. And he goes to these, these places where it's going to matter to somebody. That's why he went to Galilee. He went to a place where it's going to matter to somebody. The right place. 
Isaiah chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, it talked about these people. It said, they wander through the land dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward, they'll curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and only see distress and darkness and the gloom of affliction and they will be driven into thick darkness. You see where he's at? He's going to these people who are living in darkness, who understand they're living in darkness, who are in deep despair, who realize they have a deep need that's not being met. And I love in chapter one of, uh, or chapter, uh, verse one of chapter nine in Isaiah, all of that to be said about the people living there, it says, nevertheless, this is Jesus, not only at the right time, at the right place, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Why did he go there? Because they knew that they lived in darkness. They had a need. That's what, He went to the right place, a place, place where people had been humbled. Now, there are plenty of people who rejected the Messiah in Galilee and in Nazareth. We saw it last week. They wanted to throw him off the cliff. But the, there were plenty of people in this region that, that weren't like that. They were more open to say, you know, let's, let's, there's change needs to happen. Something's, something bad is going on in Jerusalem, and, and we, we don't want to be part of that. We need to be part of what, what Jesus is offering. But where did he pick his disciples, his followers, in this region? And we'll see that in, in the coming weeks when Jesus chooses his followers. He picked them out of this region, not out of the religious elite back in Jerusalem, although we, he's had a conversation with Nicodemus, right? There's some stirring going on. But he picks his followers out of the region of Galilee. Why? Because they were in distress and in darkness and a light dawned there. And I love the promise we see in Isaiah Dave read this earlier, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast. Again, this is Jews and Gentiles alike. In the region we're talking about in Galilee, it's Galilee of the Gentiles, right? Galilee of the nations. It was a, mix, a mixed melting pot of everybody that was there. It wasn't just Jews, it was Jews that came out and kind of lost their Judaism, and intermarried and intermixed, and, and there was this something weird going on. Like, what, what do we do here? And they were hungry for something better than what they had, and they were hungry for someone whose dominion would be vast, not only for those in Jerusalem. And we see this, this promise. Why did he go to Galilee? Because it's for all the nations, right? And that's part of the Abrahamic covenant. When God made a covenant with Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, he said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, this religious elite got to this point of saying it's us only. When way back in Genesis, the, the original Abrahamic covenant was all people would be blessed through the line of Abraham. All people, all nations, not just the Jews. Salvation was for all people. Jesus spoke in John 8. He says, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is really freeing and rewarding and a great promise. We're like, oh, that's so warm and fuzzy. Anyone who follows him won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But let's qualify that, that anyone who follows. It's anyone who realizes that they are living in darkness and have a great need of the light. It's not just the Jews that are the elite ones who have no need for repentance. We all have a need for repentance. They just don't think they do. 
the need is that we are living in darkness, that we are wounded, that we are broken, that we are in despair, and, that, and, and we are in darkness, right? And that, and that he is the light that is shown in that darkness at the right time and the right place for us. But do you know who you are? Are you the religious elite who say, I'm, I'm good, I don't need any repentance? Or are you the, the Gentile sinner who lives in despair because you know how awful things are and how much of a need you have for Jesus? Proverbs 4 says this, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Not, not the self-righteous, not the thing, people who are, who are self-proclaimed righteous. Those who were absolutely in despair and who came to faith and now have a righteousness that's not theirs, right? The righteous, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. But the way of the wicked, listen, this, is, this is the, should be a cue for our heart as we look to this scripture. The way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. The wicked are the self-righteous, the ones in Jerusalem who, who have it their own way and are wanting to do whatever they want and think they have it all under control. They have no need for Jesus. There is no darkness in their way, they don't think. But it is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. You see that? Their darkness is that they cover their their eyes. They try to hide the truth from their own hearts and minds, all the while tripping over everything right in front of them. Think about this, how how it relates politically, right? If if you at all follow the news and you watch people give speeches or politicians give speeches, it's almost sickening. It's like you hear yourself speaking at all. Does anyone actually vet your speeches? Because the common person either doesn't get it or sees right through it most of the time. Same is true here. When you have the religious elite or the self-righteous, we might say how good we are and dress how good we are and think how good we are, but Jesus sees right through it. And the person who has been humbled by Jesus and they, they look and say, that's, that's just self-righteous. They're, they're stumbling. They're walking around in their righteousness, tripping over everything. Why did he go to Galilee? Why did he go to Galilee of the Gentiles? These were not the mighty, self-righteous people. They weren't the people in beautiful Jerusalem. They were not the learned. They were not the proud. They weren't pure Jews of that amazing city but they were the downcast. They were the non-traditional. They were the neediest and the most likely to recognize that need. So Jesus went to them first. He was at the right time. And he went to the right place. And the question I have, is your heart in the right place to receive what's next? And what is it? Number three is the right message the right message. And this is the most important now. We have to be in, uh, in that right time and place, right time where we're, we're ready to receive and place where, where our heart knows that we're needy and desperate and the message comes to us. And we can lose everything if we don't receive this. A light is dawned with the right message. Luke 4, I'm sorry, Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is has come near. That was the message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A couple of different things here. One, I, I think we see this amazing, abundant grace. What grace that God has to come and say, repent. Remember last week when he quoted Scripture, he was in the, in the synagogue and he read out of Isaiah, 
And he left out that little chunk. He said, the year of the Lord's favor is here. And the part he left out was, and judgment of God is coming too. Why? Because that day wasn't fulfilling the judgment of God. It was fulfilling the mercy of God, the grace of God, the favor of God. But Jesus now is saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. There's great, great grace here given. In the message of the gospel of Jesus, it's, there's grace upon grace to be lavished on you and to be lavished on me and for you and I to believe and receive that grace of God. But the truth is, it comes also because of judgment. God's grace is spilled out and poured out on you and I, but the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that king and that kingdom will not receive prideful, sinful hearts and people who are unredeemed. That's why he says repent. Turn from yourself, turn from your ways, turn from your idols. Humble yourself and come to faith in me, and I will make you righteous. You can't make yourself righteous. Why is that a dilemma? What, what is the dilemma as you and I examine our own hearts and, and as we look to this message, the right message? What's the dilemma? We see it in John 3, 19 through 21. It says, this is the judgment. Right? There's great grace and there's great judgment, right? This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, grace. And people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Judgment. Right? There's grace for them that the light has come to expose and to shine and show them how desperate in need they are of, of salvation. It says, for everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Not accomplished by himself, but by God. This is the message. We repent. We, we get over ourselves. We say, you know what? It's not about how good I am or how righteous I can be or how, how, how well together I have it. It's about coming to God in Christ in utter despair and finding all of our satisfaction there. Letting the light dawn on us at the right time in the right place with the right message that says, get over ourselves. Turn from your own idols. Turn from your own gods and turn to faith in Christ. I want to just segue real quick. We had Team Kid this week, and we have a new kind of way we're doing that as far as rotations go, and it's, it's, it worked out really well. But I, I get to be part of the Bible story time. So the kids, kids come in, the first class comes in, and then the next second class, and I get to tell the Bible story. And this week was about worship. It was about wh what is worship, because we're having the kids come in on, Sunday, on Wednesday nights here in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock and worship with all the adults together. And we worship together, and then the kids are dismissed, and the, the adults stay in, and they, they have their Bible study, and the kids go have their Bible study. But we're wanting to teach them what worship is. And it's, it's the elevation of God, right? And I asked, I asked a lot of questions. And I was like, hey, what, what is worship? What does it mean to worship? Or, or what, what should be part of worship, right? And they, they gave us some great answers. It was like, well, to, to, to really depend on. Okay, that's good. We would depend on what we worship, right? We, uh, to, to enjoy what we worship. That was part of it, too. And they're going through this great list of, of things that, that are worship. And, and I, I, what I understood was, and what I had to do was turn it around to them and say, what are the things that aren't God that you're doing that with? Right? What are you elevating? What are you giving all your attention to? What are you thinking of a lot? What are you praising? What are you depending on that isn't God? And I asked that to the kids, and I asked that to us. That's, that's deep stuff. Because that's idolatry. That's, that's exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping the creation rather than the creator. That's what we read about in Romans this week. That's what our hearts do. The, the right time, the right place, or the right message. The message is, repent of that. Stop putting other things in the place of God. Stop putting yourself in the place of God. Turn from your sin and your own passions, your own lusts, your own desires, your own gods, and turn to faith instead 
in Jesus Christ because he's the only fix. He's the only God that can actually satisfy. I asked, I asked the kids this question too. I said, well, who is God? What are, some, what are some qualities of God? Right? And, and it, they're like, oh, he's, he created everything. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Right? He, he has huge love. Yes. He never was, he never, he's always existed. Oh, that's great. He's always, he does things the best. He, that's totally, right? You see these attributes of God? And, and I, it was fun this week because I started with the older kids, then went to the middle kids, and then I went over to the preschool, and I was with the preschoolers, right? I'm talking pre-K and kindergarten kids. And I, it, was, it was probably good to have another order because I was like kind of intellectual the first group, and I just dumbed it down every group that came afterwards, right? And by the time I got into the preschool, and it was just three, three or four things that we said that God is. That God is the biggest, the strongest, the smartest, and the best. And I said it like 80 times to these kids, and they repeated it back to me. God's the biggest, the strongest, the smartest, and the best. Nothing else is. Do you get that? Nothing else is the biggest, the smartest, the strongest, and the best. Only God is. So it's, I know the message is difficult. I know the message is hard to receive. Like, like the things that you're worshiping, the things that you idolize, the things that you have in place of God in your life are not the biggest, smartest, strongest, and the best. He is. And that's the message. The message is repent of that, what you think is biggest, smartest, strongest, and best, and turn instead to faith in Christ, who is actually the biggest, the smartest, the strongest, and the best. That was the message. That was the, that was the lesson for Wednesday night for preschoolers. And I, I had them pick out some toys in the, in the preschool over there and bring them over. Oh, yeah, these are really great. I know they're really great, but are they the biggest? No, no, no. Are they the strongest? No. Smartest? No way. Are they the best? Nope. That's they, they, one of the girls. That's just silly. You're right. I love faith like a child. That's just silly to think that those things that we put in our life in the place of God would ever replace God. Only God is God. And, and the message is that in, that, that in its entirety. God is God, you are not. God is God, the things you worship are not. Only God is God. And the message is for you and I to repent, to turn away from our sin, to turn away from our idols, to turn away from whatever we have put in that place, and to worship and serve Him alone. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, we are not proclaiming ourselves. Right. So there's this message, again, the message is to repent. We're not proclaiming ourselves, but we're proclaiming, we're proclaiming Christ as Lord. And ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For it's God who said, let light shine out of darkness. And he has shown in our hearts to give uh, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The, the message is, it's all about Jesus. The message is, the light has dawned and it is Jesus Christ. And there's a need for repentance. Paul talks about this when he exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel but be gentle to everyone and able to teach and, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. So he's telling Timothy and you and I as Christians, like, be gentle, be able to teach and be respectful, listen, be good learners and students of people so that you can share the gospel, not in this crazy controversial hammer way, but in a, in a compassionate way. Why? So perhaps, it says, perhaps God would grant them Who's them? His opponents, right? The people who don't know Jesus. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. What does that captivity look like? It looks like us stumbling around thinking we have it all together. 
It looks like having idols and stuff as our God that replaces God, and it was actually stuff that was created by human beings. He says, perhaps God will grant them repentance. Repentance is, is necessary because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said this in, in John 10, verses 1 through 10. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. We've got to watch out, right? There's a thief and a robber trying to destroy. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought all, his, all of his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him but they don't know the voice because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, uh, but they did not understand what he was telling them. He's like, well, what are you saying, Jesus? He's saying, repent. Watch out for the evil that lurks around. Watch out for the, the, the one that wants to destroy and wants to, to usurp Jesus on the throne. And so Jesus said it again. Truly, I tell you, he's trying to make it real clear. I am the gate for the sheep. When he says repent, he says, I'm the way. You have to come to me. You turn away from everything else and you come to me. He said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. He was there at the right time, the right place, with the right message. And, and what we see coming up next as we, as we proceed through the Gospels is this amazing movement of God in the hearts of people. A, a movement so big and so threatening to the religious elite, they had to crucify Jesus. But he wasn't killed by anybody, was he? He willingly laid down his life so that you and I could have life. It's, all, it's always been that way, that he would atone for our sin by letting his life be taken for us in our place. And he would rise again so we could have life. If he lives through faith in Christ, we live also. As we look at this, the question is, how about you and how about me? What has it been for God to meet us at the right time in the right place and how have you responded to the right message, the message of repentance? See, repentant faith leads to life. Unrepentance does not. Holding on to lesser gods does not, because there is no other God. No one else is the biggest, the strongest, the smartest, or the best. He is the only one that can save. And, and this has been given to us, this has been written. Why? It's been written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life in His name. Today is the right time. Today is the right place. And we have the right message to express our repentant faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you, you did come uh, in history at the right time, at the right place, with the right message, Lord. And, and ultimately that got you killed, but Lord, it started a revolution of grace. A revolution of life that can only be had through the Son, crucified and risen again. We thank you for that. 
God, we know that also, uh, although you came 2,000 years ago and that was the right time and the play, right place with the right message, God, you still come today at the right time, at the right place with the right message. God, help us to have humble hearts. Help us to be the right place, to hear the right message and respond with great, deep, repentant faith in you that we would trust you and elevate you above all. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.